you, Dr. Standish, and what a privilege it is to be here this evening. I am so proud of our Geoscience Research Institute, also our Faith and Science Council that is organized by the General Conference. These organizations, along with our Biblical Research Institute, form the core of defense for God's great word of God. Amen. I want to pay tribute to those who have worked on this, and especially Dr. Standish and others. I've heard reports. I haven't had the opportunity to be here in person, but I have gotten uh, rather first-hand reports about what a blessing the presentations have been in Yes, Creation. It is, of course, one of the most uh, important topics, and on Sabbath I will try to share a little bit more about that in the sermon that I have prepared. I just came from an event, and I'm sorry to be a few moments late, although it seems as though I got here in time. Uh, we had a, a special farewell dinner for Pastor Matthew Bediaco our outgoing secretary of the General Conference, a wonderful man of God, and I hope you will keep him and Elizabeth, his wife, in your prayers that as they continue to serve the Lord, that uh, God will use them in a continued way to uphold truth. This evening, I just want to share for a few moments a prepared script on creation. It is more of a meditational kind of approach than perhaps a scholarly paper which you have heard undoubtedly the last number of evenings and days. Uh, we have some wonderful scholars who have researched in such a powerful way creation as it relates to scripture and to science. This evening I want you to understand that from the administrative standpoint of the church, certainly with the team that we are building by God's grace for this next quinquennium, that the Seventh-day Adventist Church will stand firm for those things which we have understood to be the pillars of our faith, Amen. and that we will not flinch regardless of what may happen. We will not be deterred. We will keep our eyes focused upon the author and finisher of our faith. And the Lord will guide his people through in spite of the attacks that will come. And he will see us through to the end. What I'm going to share with you tonight is not necessarily the officially voted position of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, but I would say it is the officially understood position on the part of all of us. And I want to share it with you as we begin. In fact, I invite you now to come on a trip with me out of this world beyond the familiar solar system that some of you who are amateur or professional astronomers may see, past the expansive nebulas, past the vast super galaxies, through the constellation of Orion, 
to the very center of the universe, to heaven itself, the throne room of God Almighty. We're in his presence. The throne room is opulent, but not ostentatious. It's dazzling, but it's not gaudy. Revelation 4 tells us about the marvelous throne room of God. Verse 2 of Revelation 4 tells us of the God who sat on the throne. Verse 3 tells of a rainbow around the throne that looked like an emerald. Verse 4 tells of 24 elders seated around the throne. Verse 5 tells of the power of that throne room with lightning and thunder and voices, seven lamps burning before the throne. Verses 6 and 7 go on, and verse 8, they tell of a sea of glass like crystal before the throne, and four beasts looking like a lion, a calf, a man, and an eagle, each beast having six wings, each beast full of eyes, and continually saying, day and night, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Verse 9 goes on to say that those beasts are constantly giving glory and honor and thanks to God. Verse 10 tells about the 24 elders. They fall down before God and they worship him, throwing their crowns before this magnificent throne. Why are they doing this? What's the purpose? Why are they continually saying, holy, holy, holy? Verse 11 powerfully answers those questions. It says that God is worthy to receive glory and honor and power because he has created all things for his pleasure. What an incredible creator, what an incredible God. I praise God for the intellect and articulation of those who have presented papers based on their faith in the biblical account of creation during Yes Creation series right here at the General Conference session. When you study the Bible and the natural world, you learn many wonderful things including the strong evidence for God as the creator. Unfortunately, there are those who dismiss Genesis chapters 1 to 11 as allegorical, nice stories, but only symbolic. As I mentioned the other day on the floor when we introduced the motion in order to endorse the 2004 annual council statement. And I praise God that it was endorsed. Amen. I want to tell you this evening that I believe, as the Bible indicates, that God created this world in six literal, consecutive, contiguous, 24-hour days of recent origin. Amen. Admittedly, we don't have all the answers. I'm not a scientist. I wouldn't even present myself as a trained theologian, but we have numerous answers and evidence.
for biblical creation and a global flood. Evidence which you may have heard in these series of presentations. Now, I much prefer to believe in a loving God who took time to create us in his image than to believe in a detached, ambiguous, and meaningless evolutionary process, even if it is called theistic evolution. The greatest evidence of all is the word of God, a faith in the account outlined in the inspired word that gives us an understanding of what God did for us during that marvelous recent creation, and of course, what he did for us on the cross, what he is doing for us as our high priest in the most holy place in the heavenly sanctuary, and what he will do for us in the future as our coming king. God is our mighty creator and provides us with assuring promises of his presence and creative power in so many portions of scripture. Listen to just three places in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 43 verses 5 to 7. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth, even every one that is called by my name. For I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Again, God proclaims his creative power in Isaiah 44, verse 24. Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens along, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. Again, in Isaiah 45, verse 18, God reiterates his supremacy as the creator. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it. He created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. In order to have us remember that he is the Lord and that he made the earth and all living creatures, including us, he gave us the crown of the week seventh day Sabbath, a day to remember him, the very Sabbath on which we worship him in about two days is the same literal seventh day sequence that he created recently ending the literal week of creation. The fourth commandment found of course in Exodus 20 verses 8 to 11, is so explicit regarding God's creative power and action. It is plain for all to see and is why we have the Sabbath, to help us remember the Creator. Carefully ponder the words that God himself gave us in that fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days Shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. Why? For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, it can't get much plainer than that. 
Patriarchs and Prophets, page 48, indicates that God saw that a Sabbath was essential, and I'm quoting, God saw that a Sabbath was essential for man, even in paradise. He needed to lay aside his own interests and pursue pursuits for one day of the seven, that he might more fully contemplate the works of God and meditate upon his power and goodness. He needed a Sabbath to remind him more vividly of God, and I continue to, to quote, and to awaken gratitude because all that he enjoyed and possessed came from the beneficent hand of the Creator. So that's why, end quote, that's why we are Seventh-day Adventists. We honor that commandment to remember who our Creator is. The Creator who created this earth in, as I said, six literal consecutive contiguous 24-hour days of recent origin. We must understand that and accept it. The Sabbath will also be a sign or a seal by God of those who are his people in the very last days of Earth's history, just before Christ's soon coming, and I think it's not far away. Amen. The Sabbath is so crucial to who we are and why we worship God. The Sabbath is a sign of God's everlasting love as our creator, as our redeemer, and as our soon coming king. God tells us in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12, I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctify them. So be happy and rejoice in the Sabbath that will soon come in two days. And it will come again at the end of every new week because it tells us where we have come from, why we are here, and where we are going. It is at the core of the great controversy theme, since it identifies God as the omnipotent ruler of the universe and our own personal lives. What a magnificent God. Controls the universe, but is interested in your very personal needs and wants. The Sabbath, as a sign of God's creative power, is totally integrated into the last great proclamation to the world by God's remnant people, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, as it proclaims the unique three angels' messages entrusted to the church found in Revelation 14. The first angel in verse 6 shares the everlasting gospel, the righteousness of Christ and his saving power. It is to be shared with the world indicating in verse 7 that we should respect God and give him glory for the hour of his judgment is come and that we are to worship God who made heaven and earth and sea and fountains of water. The first angel makes it plain that we are to turn people back to the true worship of God, a worship on the seventh day of the week which commemorates his literal work of creation, culminating those six days with the day on which we are to remember that creative event. The second angel in verse 8 tells the world that the truth of God has been corrupted. God wants us to remember him as the creator, and we do so every week with the Sabbath. The third angel in verses 9 through 11 tells the world to worship only God 
the Creator, culminating with that beautiful description in verse 12 of God's people at the end of time who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. The rest of the 14th chapter tells about the harvest of souls and the coming of Jesus Christ. As I've said, I believe he's coming soon. We don't set dates or times and beware of anyone who says I've got a chart and I even know the hour that he's coming. Only the Father knows that. But we are coming to the close of Earth's history. The history that began with God's creative power and the history that will end with God's incredible creative power. Amen. Creation and God's power are wrapped up in the proclamation of the three angels' messages that are placed in our hands to proclaim and share with the world. That is why creation is so important. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 9, page 19, tell us that Begin, quote, in a special sense, Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them has been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world. On them is shining wonderful light from the word of God. They have been given a work of the most solemn import. And what is it? The proclamation of the first, second, and third angels' messages. There is no other work of so great importance. They are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. <clears throat> so that's why we worship the Creator who created all things, animate and inanimate. The Creator who longs to recreate His image in our hearts. The Creator who longs for fellowship with the creatures, with His creatures throughout eternity. The Creator who felt so deeply about us that he provided the needed substitute of death and died for you and me on the cruel cross. In Revelation 21, he promises a new heaven and a new earth created by his mouth in the same way he created this current earth. For he says in verse 5 of Revelation 21, Behold, I make all things new. What an incredible God we serve and worship. Amen. Let me share what Ellen White wrote in Signs of the Times, March 20, 1879. I quoted part of this the other day when we presented our motion, I think it was on Wednesday morning, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, everything gets blurred here during the session, so it's a magnificent uh, quotation. Infidel geolo geologists claim that the world is very much older than the Bible record makes it. They reject the testimony of God's word because of those things which are to them evidences from the earth itself that it has existed tens of thousands of years, and we could add billions of years. And many who profess to believe the Bible are at a loss to account for wonderful things which are found in the earth with the view that creation, the creation week was only seven literal days, and that the world is now only about 6,000 years old. These, to free themselves from difficulties thrown in their way by infidel geologists, adopt the view that the six days of creation were six vast, indefinite periods, and the day of God's rest was another indefinite period. 
Now I'm quoting, this is all a quote from Testimonies, Volume 8. I'm sorry, from Signs of the Times, March uh, 20, 1879. These, to free themselves from difficulties thrown in their way by infidel geologists, adopt the view that the six days of creation were vast indefinite periods, and the day of God's rest was another indefinite period, making senseless the fourth commandment of God's holy law. Some eagerly receive this position, for it destroys the force of the fourth commandment, and they feel a freedom from its claims upon them. But the infidel supposition that the events of the first week required seven vast indefinite periods for their accomplishment strikes directly at the foundation of the Sabbath of the fourth commandment. <clears throat> Excuse me. Continuing to quote, it makes indefinite and obscure that which God has made very plain. It is the worst kind of infidelity in disguise. It charges God with commanding us to observe the week of seven literal days in commemoration of seven indefinite periods, which is unlike his dealings with us and is an impeachment of his wisdom. Our Seventh-day Adventist fundamental belief, number six, gives emphasis to the creation account. However, it needs to be more specific, reflecting the wording of the action that we just took Wednesday morning regarding the 2004 annual council action, where it specifically indicates our belief in a literal, recent six-day creation and that the flood was global in nature. In closing, allow me to read some selected lines from a wonderful book, Patriarchs and Prophets, which I believe was inspired by God. These lines are taken from pages 112 to 116 and are found in the ninth chapter of Patriarchs and Prophets entitled, interestingly enough, The Literal Week. It provides an amazing instruction as we go forward to carry out God's plan for the Advent movement. These words provide a far better summation of the church's position than anything that any of us could do. And I ask you to listen to these quoted words with reverence and real interest. The Bible recognizes no long ages in which the earth was slowly evolved from chaos. Of each successive day of creation, the sacred record declares that it consisted of the evening and the morning. Like all other days that have followed, geologists claim to find evidence from the earth itself that it is very much older than the mosaic record teaches. Such reasoning has led many professed Bible believers to adopt the position that the days of creation were vast, indefinite periods. Now, I'm quoting from Patriarchs and Prophets. But apart from Bible history, geology can prove nothing. Those who reason so confidently upon its discoveries have no adequate conception of the size of men, animals, and trees before the flood, 
or of the great changes which then took place. Relics found in the earth do give evidence of conditions differing in many respects from the present. But the time when these conditions existed can be learned only from the inspired record. It is one of Satan's devices to lead the people to accept the fables of infidelity. His efforts are especially directed against the fourth commandment because it so clearly points to the living God, the maker of the heavens and the earth. God has permitted a flood of light to be poured upon the world in both science and art. But when professedly scientific men treat upon these subjects from a merely human point of view, they will assuredly come to wrong conclusions. Those who leave the word of God and seek to account for his created works upon scientific principles are drifting without chart or compass upon an unknown ocean. These persons have lost the simplicity of faith. There should be a settled belief in the divine authority of God's holy word. The Bible is not to be tested by men's ideas of science. Human knowledge is an unreliable guide. Moses wrote under the guidance of the Spirit of God, and a correct theory of geology will never claim discoveries that cannot be reconciled with his statements. All truth, whether in nature or in revelation, is consistent with itself in all its manifestations. God is the foundation of everything. All true science is in, in harmony with his works. All true education leads to obedience to his government. Science opens new wonders to our view. She soars high and explores new depths, but she brings nothing from her research that conflicts with the divine revelation. The book of nature and the written word shed light upon each other. We are thus led to adore the creator and to have an intelligent trust in his word. No finite mind can fully comprehend the existence, the power, the wisdom, or the works of the infinite one. The mightiest intellects of earth cannot comprehend God. Men may be ever searching, ever learning, and still there is an infinity beyond. Yet the works of creation testify of God's power and greatness. I end quote. God has called his people in these last days of Earth's history to uphold and uplift biblical truth. It will not be easy. There will be those who will attack, but we must march forward keeping our eyes focused upon Jesus, the one who created. The Seventh-day Adventist Church positions on creation and the global flood are clear and forthright. 
These positions are based on a literal reading of the Word of God and a demonstration of His incredible power in nature. In just a few days, we will leave Atlanta and this 59th General Conference session. As God's remnant people, entrusted with the powerful proclamation of the three angels' messages of Revelation 14, as we look for Christ's soon coming and witness to others about it and proclaim His grace and love for the human race, may we too, as patriarchs and prophets indicates, testify of God's power and greatness. Amen. Amen.